This episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by Perk, a marketing technology company that connects consumers to brands. And what I love about Perk is that Perk is a lot like Indianapolis, the city where they're headquartered. You see, Indy has all the opportunities that a big city offers with all the small town charm. So similarly, Perk has big company stability and all the excitement of a small growing tech startup. It's really the best of both worlds. And Perk is hiring for a bunch of positions. So if you're interested, check out perk.com forward slash careers. That's P-E-R-Q.com forward slash careers and see if there's a fit for you or for a friend. Again, that's perk.com forward slash careers. Matt Hunkler here, and welcome to another episode of Powder Keg Igniting Startups. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, founder and CEO of Powder Keg, and I have the distinct privilege of having two guests today, uh, one the CEO of a company called Formstack, the other the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Formstack here today. And I've known both of these guys for a long time. Uh, they've been involved in the Indianapolis tech community, which is sort of where I got my start, my career start. Uh, I've seen the impact that they've had on the community here with uh, the businesses that they've been involved with. And I am really excited to have this conversation because Formstack is not your typical uh, SaaS tech company. They have grown in some very unique ways, and they also have some exciting news to share today with an acquisition that we are announcing literally today, breaking that news uh, here on the podcast. So I'm very interested to dive into that story, the lessons learned there, the struggles along the way, and then the opportunity that's opening up for them. Uh, I'm going to read the bios here, even though I know both these guys really well. Uh, I want to make sure that I uh, stick to the script because we've got tons of great stories that I'm sure we'll dive into in the podcast, uh, but I'm going to stick to the script here as I introduce my first guest, uh, Chris Byers. Chris, first of all, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Good to be here. Uh, Chris, you are the CEO of Formstack, which is Indianapolis-based company offering an online form and data collection platform. Prior to Formstack, uh, you co-founded an international nonprofit that was built via remote relationships among partners in Europe, Africa, and the United States. I want to make sure we talk about that because I bet that's a, a really cool story. And we haven't talked that much about that yet. Yeah, no, probably not. So I'm excited about that. And then we have Dustin Sapp, who is calling in. Dustin, first of all, thank you for being here. Are you calling in from Colorado? Is that correct? Yes, Colorado Springs. There he is. Awesome, man. Colorado Springs. Uh, and Dustin is the chief operating officer or COO of Formstack. Dustin, I think I first met you when you were getting a company called Octave off the ground, where you were formerly the CEO. Octave is another company, a piece of software that we use here at Powder Keg, in addition to uh, Formstack. And that is a crazy growth story in and of itself. So we'd love to talk a little bit about the lessons you learned there and that you're applying now with Formstack. Uh, but you were responsible there for leading and managing corporate strategy, growth, product innovation, of course. And uh, you co-founded the company. I remember you you know, literally being the lone coder on that for a while and uh, testing early versions of yeah, what, that's right. what was then Tinderbox. And we were an early adopter of way back in the day. Uh, and it's so cool to see uh, where it is today in the offices on the circle and the impact that you've made there. So it's I'm excited to talk to you guys two forces of nature in one interview, uh, working together to grow Formstack. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. Thanks for having us. So I don't know this story very well. How did the two of you meet? Yeah, I think uh, this goes back to 2010. And I had, was early on in my time at Formstack. Uh, I started in early 2010, so I've been there almost eight years now. 
And Dustin and I, actually Dustin had built a, an early version of Octave and was getting started, I think had some customers and would, was beginning to uh, see some opportunities to work together with Formstack. And so I'd been introduced through Christian Anderson, a, a great uh, great resource here in Indy, and uh, he came by the office and, and we started to talk about that. Yeah, I think Christian was uh, episode one of the podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of yeah. course he was. So, <laughs> so he, he's been on here before. So for those of you that are listening and want more context with Christian and uh, all of the knowledge in his uh, reservoir of experiences, uh, that is a good one to listen to. Um, so that's that's really cool. What Do you do you remember what that experience was like when uh, you were talking with Dustin the first time and he's showing off the early versions of what w- what is now Octave? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think in those days we were the startup scene, as, as you know, was was much much earlier on, and and so it was just really good to connect, real, uh, you know, quickly with somebody locally who was in a startup, and um, clearly I, I gained respect for Dustin quickly. Uh, he clearly knew what he was talking about and uh, what he was building, and part of that was having built a number of companies in the past, and so I think uh, also really cool to actually partner with a local company. We don't do that as often as maybe we'd like, because we tend to have uh, historically smaller business customers than most local startups who tend to serve the enterprise. And so it was good to uh, see some opportunities to work together. Yeah, definitely. Well, and you came into Formstack uh, having this prior prior experience building an international nonprofit. Talk to me about that experience. How did you get involved with building a nonprofit? And then how did you bridge that into corporate entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I had been in, in kind of business in, in one fashion or another for a number of years, ever since college, and so had actually left a job as uh, kind of raising money for a healthcare company. We needed $100 million a year to build buildings and buy equipment and run operations, and so I'd go find that from banks and investors and otherwise. And uh, my family and I actually took a, a two-year journey just totally off course, and we moved to London and ended up starting a church there, started doing some consulting with some pastors in the UK and Europe and then Africa. And uh, what, But then one of the most interesting things as it applies to, to Formstack is we were kind of growing a, a church online community. So it was a, a group of people meeting just online. But one of the things we would do is use PPC ads to you know say, hey, are, are you discouraged or depressed or whatever? Do you need prayer? You know, click here and it'd bring them into an experience where they could get prayer from someone. And so, you know, kind of this really unique introduction for me into inbound marketing. I wasn't really thinking of it that way, but was a great experience before uh, you kind of before that form stack experience. And then on the other side of that, some of the discussion I'm sure we'll have later about our remote team was me getting introduced to people around the world from, you know, all walks of life. And so it has really helped inform the way I think about running the business today. I, I think that's really cool context to come into that an opportunity like Formstack and clearly your fingerprints are all over how this company has evolved uh, since 2010. Um, and it's really cool to see how the team and the culture have evolved. And then the, the product as well. I know you've got some new features that you've launched recently that I'm excited to talk about as well. But first, Dustin, I, I wanted to get some perspective from you. I know a little bit about your backstory and some of the, the people you've worked with in the past, some of your mentors like Bob Compton, who's uh, sort of a luminary tech figure here in uh, the Midwest. But can you kind of give us some context for like what you were doing leading up to when you two first met in 2010? Sure, sure. So I, I've spent my career starting and growing software companies. Started my first one uh, while attending Rose Holman Institute of Technology in Terre Haute. And that's actually where I met Bob. You mentioned him earlier. Um, you know, I went into engineering 
frankly, it's purely a, a monetary decision. Growing up with a, a single social worker mother, I wanted to make sure that, that I could provide appropriately if I ever grew a family. And in college, I, I kind of came to that realization that technology can be more than a means to an end, and you can actually impact lives and impact companies and, and do a lot of great things. So when I had the chance to meet Bob, uh, I believe it was my junior year of college, we pitched the concept to him. And he called me over Thanksgiving break and offered a check of a quarter million dollars if we were willing to work our butts off. Uh, and that was the start of my unintentional entrepreneurial career. Uh, we had uh, a couple of partners, including Robert Harris, who I know uh, you've worked with as well. And you know, we grew that company for a handful of years, sold it to a Valley company in 2004. Bob learned, learned a lot about the, uh, what not to do and what to do in selling a company and the, the types of things to watch out for. Ended up leaving that business in about nine months, started a company called Vontu with Bob, uh, where we were 50-50 business partners, growing a voice technology company. I think uh, Twilio, before Twilio was around, we built that that same style of infrastructure. Uh, That company sold in 2010. Started working on the concept of Tinder, then Tinderbox, now Octave, with Mike Fitzgerald and Christian Anderson in late 2009. And that was uh, a whirlwind of a story. We went from concept to revenue in about 100 days which is even today is relatively unheard of and you know, really started ramping up our customer base locally and then nationally and internationally and work with great brands like GE and you know, then Angie's List, now Home Advisor, uh, and, and other kind of large, significant companies like Siemens. And, and kind of had a blast growing and scaling that company. I ended up needing to step back for some personal reasons in January, ended up needing to move my family out to Colorado, and uh, had no intention of joining another company. I, as you can tell by the background, my I've spent my entire adult career starting businesses. I've not joined a company since high school. So <laughs> the the idea of kind of going in and getting a job wasn't one of those things that I was pursuing or interested in. Uh, as Chris mentioned, we, we've known each other for a long time. And going through some of my own personal journey, I, I leaned on Chris quite a bit. And we've leaned on each other over the years during our companies. Floated this idea of, uh, of joining Formstack and said, hey, Chris, no can do. I'm moving. We're moving to Colorado. Like, where are you moving? Colorado Springs. Oh, did you know we already have two employees there? And by the way, we have this phenomenal remote work culture. Come on board. Let's let's scale and grow this business together. And as I dug deeper and deeper into Formstack, I was just blown away by kind of the health and the scale of the business and this untold story, really, that folks assume Formstack is this cute little software company on the north side of Indy, but it's an amazing success story that. That frankly, we're we're starting to talk a little bit more about and and be a little more braggadocious uh, when it comes to talking about where Formstack is today and and the kind of pillar it can be in the indie community and frankly, all of the communities that we're involved in around the world. I'd love to get a little bit more perspective on the scale and impact of Formstack uh, in a moment, but Dustin, I, I want to kick it back to you because you you just kind of gave some really awesome broad brushstrokes of your career, and I'm curious out of all of those entrepreneurial experiences. Is there is there one or two kind of bigger lessons that you learned? Maybe in each of the you don't have to give me like the play by play because I know you learned a ton in all of those experiences. But well, yeah, how much time do we have? Right, exactly. Is there is there one sort of like transformative experience or a bigger sort of like aha? Like this is how this is how the matrix works in terms of tech startups. You know, there's probably the biggest aha is that there is no big aha uh, <laughs> that. You know, a lot of the stereotypes and a lot of the the cliches that we say are there for a reason. I, having done this now for, I guess, 18 years, you, you have seen a relatively significant shift in 
style of team, style of people, uh, kind of going from your baby boomers to Gen Xers to millennials in uh, what what can make a company strong, what can make a company great. Uh, I'm, I'm re-listening to Simon Sinek's book now uh, about your why. And, and while that's always been a concept that's held true in businesses, it's, it's more appropriate in today's culture and today's lifestyle. And ultimately, if you're able to build a team and a structure that is all rowing in one direction and, and does all believe not in the leader, but in the overall vision of the business and kind of what we're striving toward as a company, then you can get through all of the ups and downs that, that are guaranteed to exist in any business. There is, there is no Disney story, really, when it comes to growing businesses. There are major ups and there are major downs. And how you built that team and the kind of trust you have in that team and the level of transparency you have really are going to be what dictate your ability to, to make it through both of those. Not just making it through the lows, but the highs can kill you just as easily. And, and how you stay grounded and, and work through those is all dependent on that team structure that you've built how clear you are with your vision, with your values. It's the stuff that I'm sure people talk about on this podcast every time you have a mom when you ask a similar question. And it's it's true. That's why you have to keep talking about it over and over again and keep beating that drum. I really appreciate you sharing that perspective. Uh, I know 18 years is uh, a lot of time to be working on things that nothing is the same any day. Uh, there's always some right. amb- ambiguity in there. And I think that's just great perspective to have, that there is no aha one one big breakthrough thing. It's a series of little breakthroughs and uh, learning along the way. Yeah. And, and, and what you learned 10 years ago isn't going to apply now. What worked for you five years ago isn't going to work now. And what you find is uh, a lot of businesses, especially young businesses, will find uh, an executive from a successful company or a prior founder, and they'll try to bring him in and, and get the playbook that worked for them. And those best mentors are going to be the ones that say, there is no playbook. And if you try to do what I did, it's gonna, you're going to fall flat on your face and it's going to end in disaster. So let's look at this scenario and this situation and, and figure out how to approach the problems. Playbooks don't work. And I think that's probably the biggest misconception in entrepreneurialism is as long as I read my 15 self-help books and get three people to tell me how they did it, I'm going to have success. And that's just it's a load of garbage. You heard it here first. Load of garbage. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Chris, what would you say is the why for Formstack? We we have uh, we have this kind of why statement uh, is what we call it. It's it's effectively a mission statement, but it's removing complexity so you can get work done. So, uh, you know, over the years we've gotten in the mode of let's go in higher growth mode, and so let's go target this product or something to to get in the highest growth mode possible. And yet every time we have pulled back to say, why did something work or not work? It was all about, we love this idea of removing complexity from people's lives. We don't want to build a product that people just live in all the time. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. We want you to get in, solve a problem, get out, go do your work. Like that's that's fun for us. And it means we're saving you time. It means we're saving you money. And so that's kind of why we, we do what we do. That's awesome. I, I would say that, uh, from my experiences using the product, because we use Formstack at Powder Keg, you're absolutely executing on that why. Appreciate like, that. It's definitely my experience that it removes a ton of complexity from a lot of processes that would just be a lot more complicated if I wasn't using a tool like that or I was using some substitute like free tool like Google Forms or something like that, yeah, which just it, doesn't get you to the 
removing complexity piece. Yeah, and I think uh, we, sh we probably share, I think, a similar background in that not developers by background. And so often know what we want to get accomplished. It's just, can I get a tool set that helps me get that job done? I don't need someone else's help except for the fact that I just can't code. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, and so this, this is us trying to bridge that cap and give non-technical people or less technical people the ability to solve their own problems. Well, yeah, and it's it's really a toolbox more than just a single tool. You know, the, there's so many different things within Formstack that you can use, and maybe maybe it would be helpful just to kind of give a couple use cases of like how people are currently using Formstack, and it's hard to define by just saying it's form software, right? right. It's <laughs> it's more than that. How are people currently using Formstack? Yeah, I think uh, for, at the very basic, and I say basic, uh, people are, uh, you know, lead capture is to a certain degree a, a, a starter kind of task, except, you know, in our case, we've got customers who are very, very big brands using us to collect hundreds of thousands of leads. They get those into their, you know, into Salesforce or uh, whatever their CRM is. And in fact, along the way, they want to make sure, hey, I've spent $50,000 or $500,000 on a PPC campaign. I want to make sure all those UTM parameters are getting into the backend system so I can see, was I effective in that? Did I, did I make money here or not? And so, uh, you know, lead capture is, is a big deal. You'll see a lot of people using Formstack to accomplish that. And then again, get it into the right backend system. In addition to that, you start to think about, uh, for instance, an early version of, we'll call it workflows, so approvals. So um, uh, you need to maybe do a reimbursement request and you wanna make sure a manager approves that. So we kind of have built functionality so you can approve, deny, and, and move that then down down the path. So again, something begins to get automated. And then I think the the other thing we see is a very broad use case. So people use us for HR processes, or they will use us to, for an event registration, or they want to take a payment maybe for the first time or, or not in their core system. And so they use one of our payment integrations. And so across, we've got something like uh, 15,000 customers. And across that entire user base, lots and lots and lots of different use cases. That's awesome. 15,000 cu customers is a huge number, and it's an awesome accomplishment to get to that number as a SaaS company. How, how are you guys delivering on that? Give me a sense of the size of scale of the team and then how that's sort of split up. I know you have some headquarters here in Indianapolis, but you've got three in Colorado Springs, including Dustin now. Where else are, are form stackers? Yeah, so at, at this point, we've got about 120 form stackers, and they are spread across the across the world. The biggest base is right here in Indianapolis. We've got kind of in the mid-30s here in Indy, but then 70% of the team is everywhere else, and that's across um, seven countries and 75 cities. Wow. So people are as far west as California, as far east as uh, Poland, as far north as you know, a couple places in Canada, as far south as Argentina, we just uh, added a team member on the island of Mauritius off the coast of Africa. So it's a, it's a pretty distributed team. And, and that does allow for, you know, for instance, Dustin and I to get to still work together because location just really doesn't turn out to be that big of a deal. We, we do get together from time to time, but we can get on video and, and talk through things and, and collaborate, et cetera. And so we, we've built a pretty exceptional kind of remote team in that way. I want to talk to talk to you about how you do that because we're building our own remote team ourselves. So self-serving, but obviously also our listeners uh, would love to hear. Uh, but I'm curious, Dustin, is this the first remote team you've worked on? As far as this level of remote, mm -hmm. absolutely. And, you know, we've, I, I've always had remote folks uh, on my teams, but 
it's a different kind of culture. It's not the boiler room, get a hundred people on a thousand square feet. And, you know, so it's, it's a different kind of energy uh, that you have to work through. And so you, you've got to think through communication a little bit differently. Uh, you also have a different level of productivity depending on the role uh, in a very, in a very positive way when folks are able to kind of live and work in a comfortable way and kind of work at, at their level. And if you think about the kind of impact you can have, it goes beyond just a single location, a single city with a relatively small team. Massive enterprises get that opportunity, but to be able to do that at our size, I mean, 120 is great for a software company, but it's a relatively small company in the grand scheme of things. And to have an impact on 75 different communities is, is pretty amazing. That is really amazing. What, what was most surprising to you about it, doing remote at this scale? <laughs> the, the most surprising thing might have been when we had our all-hands uh, meeting in Chicago. Every year, the foresight gets everyone from around the world together in one location for a week. And actually seeing everyone in one location when you don't necessarily walk into that office every day was, was pretty eye-opening. You see that, oh, you're six foot five. I wouldn't have gathered that when I have a picture of you <laughs> from here up uh, when we talk on a regular basis. So uh, some of those interpersonal things are are pleasant surprises uh, as you go through. But frankly, the way Formstack uses technology, whether that's video, whether it's Slack, whether it's our own product to communicate, how well the company communicates, frankly, I'm, I'm still a little baffled by. That's cool. I, I love the idea of getting all 100 plus employees into one location to be face to face, because there, there, I imagine there is value that you get face-to-face that you don't quite get in this Skype scenario. Why and when did you guys decide to do that sort of annual summit? I mean, it, it all goes back to the fact that you can, a, a few people have built remote teams over time. If you know the automatic story, the WordPress company, they've built 500 plus, they may be up to 600 team members. And yet, uh, as, as I've read and talked to people there, a very, very written culture, what I mean by that. Uh, you know, they do a lot of Slack writing a lot and, you know, they don't actually use video. In fact, mm. I was talking to somebody about how they do performance reviews even and all written via Slack. So they don't even get on the phone and, and do audio, mm. but you can, you can build a culture around that. But I am personally very relationally driven. And so I would not do well if I had to sit behind, behind my computer all the day and never actually get to interact with people. And so we've always made relationships really important in terms of uh, the organization. So for us, that meant, you know, we need to invest in getting people together once a year at least. Uh, But in in addition to that, we ask teams to get together another time during the year. So you've got at least two points in time where you're going to physically be together with people. And then hopefully through conferences or maybe you do need to gather together, you know, on an ad hoc project. Hopefully, you know, three times a year you're getting to see people. And so uh, that came, again, just from me being highly relational and and me thinking about how, how do you build a good long-term business around in a remote world? And I think having relationships becomes a great base for that because I think as we'll all appreciate, we can screw a lot of things up if we have a great relationship with somebody because they say, oh, you know what? I'm still cared about. Uh, they still want me to succeed. Uh, so that, that takes a lot of sins kind of into account. Well, I imagine it's not just the in, in-person, face-to-face stuff that's building the relationships. There's a lot of things happening virtually every day at Formstack. Uh, what are some of those things that you've kind of designed into the system? Uh, and then, Dustin, I'll, I'll turn to you after that and ask, you know, what are some of the things that you've found to be helpful as you've ramped up here on the team uh, as the COO? 
Yeah, I think uh, we do a lot of video conversations. So I would venture that if in almost every case, most people are on video calls maybe hours a day, especially if they've got larger teams. And so there's just a lot of face-to-face interaction in that way. Um, you, I, I know you did an interview with our founder, Ade Alano, a couple weeks ago yeah. on Facebook Live. Uh, out of remote, we built Gel, which helps us communicate, uh, kind of do stand-ups without having to physically do that stand-up. So all of a sudden, you can kind of communicate information uh, that by the time you get to that video conversation, you can jump through all the, the update stuff and get to relationship and get to let's talk strategy versus what are you doing today? Mm-hmm. And, and some of those things that you do pick up if you're physically sitting next to each other. So I think a lot of video conversations, things like Gel, we've got a lot of software that, that helps us along the way, a lot of Google Docs and things like that for collaboration. And then we try to intentionally do things like uh, our all-hands meeting. We get together once a month as an organization all on Zoom. And so you see all 100-plus faces on their little windows. And so you can't see everybody really, but (laughs) you you get to see their faces. And so we make sure we're doing that on a regular basis. We have... uh, How frequently? uh, We do that once a month. And and then we also even have... uh, TF2 is a, a, an online game that lots of people can play. We'll do that uh, kind of weekly for remote team members. What is TF2? So, uh, kind of online uh, capture the flag-esque game. And oh, so cool. you can participate from anywhere. And all of a sudden, again, you, you get to have some of those experiences that in our office you might do via ping pong. But online you can do via, you know, some cool games. Oh, that's awesome. Anything unexpected, Dustin, that you didn't expect to be as effective as it was? Or any challenges uh, adopting this remote work culture? Yeah, there are definitely challenges. You know, when when we talk about that bullpen style office environment, uh, when a when a new deal closes, a new a new customer comes on board, everybody knows about it immediately. Everybody cheers. You you get the the physical nature of celebration, and so you have to you have to manufacture some of those elements in a in a more remote environment. Um, you know, Chris mentioned a number of things. They also do we also do things like form sex fun where and they'll do goofy little games once a month and different people within the company will, will sponsor those. You know, really all of those have done one way or gimmicks. Chris talked about the value of relationships and, and that's been taken very seriously by the company. Um, a lot of companies will outlay their kind of mission, vision values. And, and most of the time it's lip service here. It's fascinating how seriously the company takes the culture values that, that we have. And in, in, in a very positive way, to the point where in sending an all-company email, they'll often put one of the culture values as the preface in the subject line just to, to show why something's being communicated. And in those values, we've bucketed them into two different categories, results matter and relationships matter. So the fact that 50% of our culture values are specifically about relationships uh, really bleeds through to every member of the team. When, when I was first talking about coming on board with Chris and we talked about this concept of all hands, one of the things he said to me was, listen, we're going to make this massive investment in all hands. And if all we do is get a little bit of vision communicated, but a whole lot of relationship building, then that's a win. Then it was, it was worth every dollar we invested. And I, I didn't tell him this in the back of my head. I rolled my eyes a little bit. Yeah, sure. Sure. That's what you mean. That's a lot of money. We're going to get some sneaking results out of that investment. Uh, and then participating in it. Uh, it's, it's absolutely true. The most valuable thing coming out of there is, kind of taking that online relationship to to the real world and and building those bonds with folks that are around the world. We did one day at All Hands, we did lightning talks for uh, different countries that are represented where literally someone would take five minutes and explain here are the 
the interesting things about my culture and my country that you may think are a little weird being from a different place or humorous or what have you. And it was probably one of the best sessions we had all week. And, and frankly, you learn how funny some of the folks are on the FormSec team when they do a video of Canadianisms uh, comparing what you'd say in the U.S. versus Canada. It, w- it was a great time. And those relationships really get built in a positive way. And the FormSec really put their money where their mouth is. Well, and I think Dustin mentioned something about the, that investment in, in all hands. You know, one of the things I always tell people is don't do remote because you want to save money. It's uh, it's not a good plan. Mm-hmm. You want to do it for the flexibility, for the fact that you can hire people from wherever, whenever. And so for us, for every dollar we save and not having an office that supports 120 people, we invest that in things like all hands. And so it, it's not about cost savings. And so we, we still use that money to you know, create an environment. It just is a different type of environment. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's yeah. cl- clear and based on some of those examples. Yeah. Sorry, Dustin. Yeah. In many ways, frankly, we probably invest more dollars because of the remote culture than we would if we had everybody in, in a physical location. But beyond what Chris said about kind of the flexibility and you know, being able to hire in a lot of places, the idea of diversity is much different when you're hiring in this kind of environment. In, in the US and in Indiana specifically, we look at about three different races, and we look at gender. And, and that's how we think about diversity when we're building a team. Uh, when you're building globally, you realize that regardless of gender or race, if you live in Argentina, you have a much different upbringing, you have a much different view on life than you do if you live in the US your entire life. Uh, if you come from Poland, your skin color might be the same, but your background is extraordinarily different. And so We've been able to add a new layer to the way we consider diversity and to the way we grow our team that only improves us and makes us stronger as a business. And with 15,000 customers spread across the world, allowing us to think a little bit more like our customer base really enables us to have a, a stronger attitude when it goes to coming to market. It's really cool to hear about when it lot. comes to going to market. Yeah, yeah, we knew what you meant. I, I I like all the benefits around the remote work culture, and, and we have some some folks uh, in different cities in the U.S. as well as over on the other side of the world in the Philippines. But uh, I'm curious because I have never been in the office of one. And Dustin, I know you've got two other people there in Colorado Springs with you. Are you going into an office every day there, or are you oftentimes working from home? If so, like what are some of the things that you found to keep you? as engaged as you would, or maybe, as you pointed out earlier, more engaged than you would be in a boiler room style office, as, as you kind of put it? Yeah, so I, I have the benefit of having a little bit more practice, which I have now, I think, seven folks in Colorado Springs. Okay. Uh, it'll be eight in a couple of weeks now, because there's been just a little more local hiring. So I've, I've had that benefit. Now, in starting companies in the past, even with co-founders, often you're in an office of one and, and that dynamic is different than today when you have a plethora of co-working spaces, those kinds of things. But I personally, I, I do a mix. Sometimes I'll work out of the house. Sometimes I'll work in the springs. In that office, only one of those people are on my team. So my team is very remote as well uh, and spread out. So I do a lot of video calls also. I mean, Chris, you you actually lived that office of one environment for quite a while while leading Formstack. So you, you'd have some good context there. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I did that for about two and a half years. I remember and, that. Yeah. yeah. Where were you based at the time? Uh, in Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the great thing about it was I had an opportunity to support my wife and taking a job that was physically based in Oklahoma City. But there were there's a lot of learning 
there. I was moving at that time from a fully office-based environment to something remote. Remote CEO. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I had a blog out there. It still still exists. Uh, I don't know if the content's any good. So, but the <laughs> I'm sure it's good. <laughs> but you know, the good side was being able to be wherever I needed to be. On the the downside. You know, being on video all day, which is what I ended up with toward the end as the company grew, just because that was the way I communicated with people, that's taxing. Mm -hmm. And it can, you know, you can wake up and say, wow, this is a tough life to just not physically be around people and uh, be on video all day. And so one of the things I did was I, I got a co-working space. And just because it, I wasn't talking to people about my business as much as just going to lunch with them and hanging out with them. And so balanced out that uh, being remote a little bit with just having physical interaction. But frankly, I moved back to Indianapolis partly because the community uh, was continuing to grow here and, and is a great place to be, and partly because we did have some people in the office here. And so I had a few more people that I didn't have to get on video to talk with. And so and I think that's the other side for us as we think about remote. We've been flexible about it and not said, oh, we are we are a 100% only remote organization. We've said, oh, you know what? You've got seven people in Colorado Springs. Let's Let's get an office. Like there's there's community there. That's great. That you can probably build on top of that. In Indy, we will continue to have an office uh, from time to time. I'm sure we'll have cities where enough people pop up, and we say, if you guys want to get a co-working space together or build an office, that that's possible too. I don't think it has to be. It, it's more about the flexibility and opportunities that exist versus saying we are again we are an only remote organization. Yeah, but I, I like that perspective and context. I, I'm sure there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. Uh, were there any um, stumbling blocks along the way, like maybe not permanent failures, but things you kind of had to be like, oh, well, that's not working. Let's put in this new policy and you know, whatever that, that fix was, maybe the result of the all hands in person was a result of not getting face to face enough. Yeah. What, what were some of those stumbling blocks? But I think over time, you've seen people who started in the office and then they moved to another city and they were like, oh, wow, I don't like being remote. Mm -hmm. And and so they ev eventually left because they didn't like that environment. And so we've had to learn to hire that way. And in fact, we stopped doing in-person interviews and met, went completely to an uh, kind of an all video based interview because we wanted to make sure people would really fit that remote culture. You know, I think other things we've done we still conceptually have a an you know an eight to five nine to five kind of time that you should be in the office, but that starts to look really weird when, of course, we want to plan a meeting at ten a.m. and and we're trying to somehow group together people in California and in Poland. Like that's a that's a pretty tough challenge. And so, I actually don't know that we've embraced that well well enough, but we need to. Uh, need to do that more. And by building, we've started using OKRs actually in gel. But one of the values that that will provide is saying, okay, we, we kind of know what the destination is. We know what your goals are. And OKRs being objectives and key results. Yeah, just an, another, uh, the Google kind of popularized way to generate and track goals. And so, you know, for us, we'll eventually be able to go to a place, I think, where we say, you know what, unless your job is just time specific, we're not going to be that worried about it. Mm -hmm. we're, we just want to make sure you can get the job done. And so that's probably the biggest thing that we're, we're still working through now is how do, you, how do you embrace lots of different time zones and you, you want to get things done in a certain time frame, but you've got to work with people who are ahead of you and behind you and, and kind of need to balance that. Are there other entrepreneurs or CEOs you've learned from that do use a remote work culture? You mentioned automatic previously. 
Um, obviously, base camp is a yep. remote work culture. Uh, are there any guides along the way that you've had? Yeah, it, it, actually, there was a guy who went and worked for Automatic for a few years, and he wrote a book called A Year Without Pants. Good title. Yeah. And so he did this amazing, like it was a day-to-day kind of journey through him going from, I think, being a journalist to uh, working at Automatic. And so that was a great kind of experience. Yeah, at the the work that uh, and kind of writing that Basecamp has had has been helpful. You know, I think, though, the other thing we need to learn from is is take uh, take Cummins here in, in Indiana. They've got 150 locations around the world. And so while they have lots of offices, they've also had to learn to talk with cultures and people in all different parts of the world. And so that's actually someone I have not gotten introduced to there, but I, I think is a good next step is, is there's a lot of companies who act like remote companies, but they never would have called themselves that. Mm. That's just how they've operated big conglomerates, I guess. Yeah. And so I think that's been helpful. And then in, in seeing some of that, it's actually not well written about. Actually, Buffer writes a little bit about it and Zapier writes a little bit about it mm-hmm. at, on their blogs. And so those are worthwhile reads. Um, but then a lot of people are trying it, but not. it's not been caught on in a way that's uh, as clear to, to find good guides. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I appreciate you guys being guides and sharing what you're learning uh, in the process here on the, the podcast. I know the culture in Formstack is kind of built around this remote culture. Uh, and uh, among other things, we could probably dive into all those values and you could recite them off the top of your head because you live them every day. But I'd, I'd rather dive into some of this new news uh, that we're sharing here today for the first time, this acquisition that you guys have made, which will certainly have an impact on the culture. Talk to me about that. What what was the the backstory to like why you acquired this company? Why would you acquire a company when you're doing so well on your own? Can you give me a little context there? Yeah, I, and I think I'll set this up and let, let Dustin talk a little bit more about it. But I think one of the things that is important to realize as you're growing a business is, I think I always thought, oh, you're you're going to get a great product and it's going to get on this linear path and just grow over time, or maybe it's a, a hockey stick growth, whatever. But it's going to be one product that does one thing really well. And yet, as I started interviewing people who grew businesses that got above $10 million and got above $50 million and $100 million, they'd say things like, oh, you know what? That core business that you think that we were all about was actually flat. We built new products on top of that to sell. And we had segments of the business that were growing really fast. Not that, oh, this one big thing that you always think about is the one thing that drove us to $100 million. Mm. And so we started to ha- ask the question, how do we go from you know super clear focus on one thing to beginning to entertain more than that? And so uh, as we started to look at our customer base, we saw lots and lots of them were using our Salesforce integration, obviously a great platform. And so started to ask, what what do we do with that? So I think Dustin will do well to kind of take it from there and and what we what we've ended up with. Yeah, that'd be great. Dustin, can you give us a little more context into going from uh, a lot of our customers are using the Salesforce integration to let's acquire a company? <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> so um, one of the things uh, with me joining the business was kind of an opportunity to have a fresh perspective and you know think about growth a little bit differently. Chris already had some ideas on how uh, we could ratchet growth in certain areas in the business, but really taking that concept of growth in channels that we wouldn't normally be growing in or we haven't seen growth in historically was an area that I, that I was going to be focusing on. Uh, and when you talk about the importance of why statement, 
it really played into this conversation. So Chris mentioned earlier, our goal is to remove complexity so you can get work done. Well, as we kind of investigated how different customers were using that Salesforce integration, we have about a thousand of our customers using that today. What we found is that in a lot of cases, it wasn't necessarily removing complexity for them. They were having to implement some complex integrations in order to accomplish what they wanted to. So regardless of how we attacked the Salesforce ecosystem, we knew that we needed to have that Y filter in place. Whatever we bring to market, whether we take our existing integration and improve it, build a brand new application on the App Exchange, we knew we had to do that with a lens of removing complexity from our customers and and really making their lives better. So we really went through a, a build versus buy scenario in, in those three different examples. We can take what we have, make it better. We can build something fresh and new with, with a fresh set of eyes off of everything we've learned. Or we can look in the ecosystem and find what, what business exists there today that is the best at removing complexity for their customers' lives. Uh, and we, we found this company, Fastforms, and uh, they had actually already reached out uh, late last year to, to learn a little bit about our journey and knowing that while we competed a little bit, we didn't have a native application on the App Exchange. And in talking with their founders and getting to know them and, and uh, experiencing their product, uh, setting up their product for the first time really made me feel like some of those first times that I used Formstack uh, in, in the early days where uh, what, this is going to make my life so much easier by implementing this product. And it was, it was very clear off that first product demo that uh, we needed to figure out a way, uh, a way to work together. And uh, relatively quickly, uh, we, were, we were able to come to that conclusion. They knew that Formstack gave them an opportunity to experience growth in a different way than what they'd seen organically already. And that, that teaming up together, you know, the, the way we look at it is Formstack is the best, most robust, most sophisticated and easy to use data collection form solution in the broader market. They're the same within the app exchange. So being able to marry those things together and and really be the best in both environments was was a no brainer for us. So we're excited to bring Dee and her team on board. Uh, we we will, uh, as you mentioned, when this airs, uh, when you're posting this, we'll be announcing more broadly. Uh, we'll have a, a good presence at Dreamforce, and we know that we can make Salesforce a significant channel of growth for us long term. That's awesome. And how big is the company that you've acquired? There are eight, eight people out of Toronto. That's great. And talk to me about some of the, the due diligence and process behind that. As someone who's never acquired uh, a software company before, wh- what are you weighing there? Uh, what are the decision points? And then, you know, obviously, you're probably not going to go into detail on the deal terms, but as much insight as you can give us into that experience for those that might consider acquisition as a, as a channel for growth and adding more revenue. Sure. So typically when you hear horror stories about acquisitions, it, it always seems to be around people. Almost always. It's it's cultures colliding and not getting along well. It's a company acquiring the tech, firing all the people. Uh, you know, there there are plenty of horror stories about acquisitions. So for us, first and foremost, it was understanding the team, understanding culturally how will they integrate with us long term over time, making sure that the product is a solid product and that it doesn't have to be a perfect product because those don't exist, but we have to make sure that there's value there. Uh, but more importantly, what do customers feel about the product? Do they have the same feeling about the Fastforms product as as our customers feel about the Formstack product? So we, we just frankly spent a lot of time together, got to know each other, learned um, learned a little more about how they foresaw growing their business, what they wanted in their own careers. In, in a sense, the same thing you would do in 
uh, interviewing a key executive coming onto the team, you want to make sure you're really well aligned in in vision and, and where you want to take things in the future. That that was the bulk of what we did. Yes, you've got to figure out deal terms. Yes, you've got to figure out financials. But if you get the people part wrong, it's it's going to be a big waste of money. And a, you know, acquisitions are risky, uh, and and that is not a good way to mitigate your risk. So I've sold a company, uh, my first company we sold, where we didn't really spend time learning about the people and understanding vision and strategy. And it was a colossal failure in many ways. So you, you learn a lot about that. And I encourage uh, Dee and Keith, who are the, the husband and wife team that started Fast Forms, I encourage them to do as much digging on us as we were digging on them. Ask hard questions. Uh, maybe I encourage too much because they did a really nice job digging into the team. But you got to make sure they're excited about the future as well. You look at that kind of classic hype cycle of uh, that, that peak of inflated expectation, and then you, you get down to the, the, the trough of reality over time. We tried to minimize that as much as possible right, by making sure we had strong relationship investigation. Yeah, and I think in due diligence too, one of the things Dustin does extremely well uh, that I, I, I'll tend to, if I encounter a problem, I'll tend to be like, okay, go in a hole and think really hard about the solution to the problem. Uh, he will say very quickly, oh, let's go talk to this person. Like they, they've done this before. And especially here in Indianapolis, you know, people have acquired businesses much, much larger than, than we are. And so I think finding, we'll call them mentors, but, you know, people who can uh, help you along the way was, was probably one of the biggest things. So they can give you real advice from real history. And so I think that's huge. That's that's good perspective to have. In terms of the um, yeah. questions that you guys are asking them, or were questions they asked you, were there ones in particular that were really good and insightful? Yeah, I think probably pl plenty of long. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, we sent them a laundry list. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was a bit daunting and overwhelming. Uh, Chris, what were you going to say? I mean, I think they they did a great job of including their team in the process to ask us questions. And so, you know, they wanted to really understand where we were headed with the business, how they were going to be viewed in the business. And uh, and I think so setting those expectations w was really important. I think it was good to hear uh, w one of the things we've quickly learned is, uh, as Dustin mentioned, they have a 4.9 kind of star rating on, this, on the app exchange. And we could see very quickly they were doing things that we were not doing in our customer kind of experience with with customers that we need to learn from. And in fact, because they uh, hadn't grown to a certain size and started to think about efficiencies in certain areas, we can look to them and actually learn, oh, you know what, we should we should start to entertain chat again in customer support, something we had done before, then we got rid of because of, you know, made more sense. But now we're starting to say, oh, we should probably question that again. And so I think as they asked, why do, why do you do those things? Why do you do support this way? Or why do you do sales this way? It like illuminates a number of things that we've just kind of long forgotten as a decision. And so just a series of questions versus anything real specific. I think in my case, Dustin, I don't think uh, I don't know if you've got anything else. Yeah, I, I think that that freedom of early stage that they that they have right now, where you just you have to be scrappy in everything you do. You know, my my youngest two kids are about five years apart, and in that five years, there's a lot you forget about having a baby, both good and bad. Uh, you you forget about the sleepless nights, so that's a rude awakening. But then you also forget about when you go get that baby out of the crib, and they're just they're happy as can be, right? So having that fresh scrappy perspective early on where they're challenging us in the same way we're challenging them also said a lot about how we'd be able to work together over time because it 
if if we settle for complacency in our business that you know a, a certain percentage of growth is good enough, then you know we're we're doomed to atrophy and die long term. And that, that's just the nature of software businesses in general, but software especially. So being able to continue to inject that energy and that that positive challenge on how do we take ourselves to that next level and drive that urgency. It, for even the diligence process, at least for me, was refreshing. Uh, I think for Chris as well and for the team, we we had probably eight people involved on our side, really digging in and, and understanding. And that there's a there's an urgent excitement that takes place there, where you know you can build some great things together. Well, and it's really cool to see Formstack. You know, and when I first met you guys, uh, and even to today, I'd still say I would categorize you guys in the scrappy uh, mentality in terms of like your your approach to things, meaning like. You hustle to get things done. You're you're motivated, always looking to grow. Clearly, you know, with this acquisition, that illustrating that point. One of the things I think is unique about Formstack when you look at it compared to a lot of other SaaS companies is it didn't go the what has now become more like the tr- traditional route of raising round after round of capital to get that growth and grow. And instead, it's been kind of a steady uh, incline, at least from the outside perspective. And to my knowledge, you guys haven't had a major fundraising strategy behind uh, the growth that has occurred. It's been come out of sales. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's right. So we raised seven, eight hundred thousand dollars back in 2008, 2009, and then have not raised since then. So we've uh, and, and we'll kind of tend to bounce back and forth between let's get profitable, build up some cash. Maybe we need to rethink the strategy or we need to you know, rebuild something, whatever it happens to be, build up some cash. And then all of a sudden we've got uh, runway and we can run a little bit harder and run into the red. And so we've just kind of bounced back and forth between that profitable and break even line. And, you know, one of the best things that's ever happened to us is that time has played out. And it turns out that if you continue to persist and continue to kind of go after the target, you can grow a, a meaningful business and you don't always have to raise capital. We very well could still raise capital in the in the near future and, and you know, in the coming years. There's a, there's a great place for it, but there's also a place where it's dangerous. And, and the dangerous place is... Uh, I'm going to put capital behind just a pure belief that I can get this done. And yet, realistically, you want to put capital behind, oh, I see uh, these unit metrics, we'll call them, but I can I can see if I put $10,000 into sales or marketing that it produces X number of dollars and I'm getting repaid in a reasonable amount of time. It's It's ultimately a math game in that sense. And so if you could do that, raise capital, go for it, it hopefully should all work out. But if you don't know that for sure, uh, continue to plod forward with building great assets that, that pay out over the long term. And for us, uh, the, the bad news about an inbound marketing-driven business, which is where we've been, is it takes a long, long, long time for something to pay out. So I, I write a piece of content, and it takes months and months to get traction and get SEO and, and, or get covered by somebody. And yet once it does, it's an asset that just lives forever. Versus when you put a salesperson behind something, of course, they can reach out and be effective, but it's one time and then you're done. 
And then you got to go repeat that process. And so, uh, the, again, the downside is it can take a long time. The, the upside is you build assets that just keep repaying over and over and over again. That's really good perspective to have. And I know there's a ton of resources on the Formstack blog. People can check out the Formstack product at formstack.com, which I highly recommend doing if you're doing anything online uh, in terms of like collecting information, whether that's internally as a team or externally to customers or potential customers or leads. Uh, it is just a super easy tool to use. You do not have to be a developer or you can be a you know technical nincompoop like I am <laughs> and get a lot done with Formstack. Definitely check that out. If people want to find you guys personally online, what's the best social platform to go to and, and what's what's your handle on that platform? Uh, yeah, I'm at our Chris Byers on Twitter, or I think the same thing on Instagram. I'm, I'm pretty terrible at uh, updating things. Dustin, are, are you even on social media? <laughs> I'm not that old. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I'm not all that active. So uh, Dustin underscore sap on Twitter and then uh, LinkedIn, just Dustin sap. Awesome. And we'll make sure that's all linked up in the show notes, which you can find at powderkeg.com for this particular episode, including links to resources that we named, uh, including some of the books we mentioned, some of the companies we mentioned, some of the other resources, uh, as well as some of the guides we mentioned. I want to say thank you guys so much for being on the show, sharing uh, your entrepreneurial journey. And I'm eager to watch what happens as this magic continues to unfold uh, with the acquisition, the new role. Dustin, congratulations again. And thanks I'm, very much. Yeah. Thank you guys both for being here. Yeah. Thanks for the invitation. Good to be here. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. And for more stories on entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals outside of Silicon Valley, make sure you give us a little subscribe on iTunes. You can find us at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. It's a handy dandy link we created just for you. You'll want to subscribe there because we have some amazing guests coming up. So please don't miss that. And while you're at it, please leave us a review on iTunes. This is how we reach new people. And the positive reviews we've already received have helped us dramatically grow our audience for sharing these entrepreneurs stories. And while I'm on that subject, we've got a helpful companion website at powderkeg.com. You can find show notes for this episode as well as all of the past articles and interviews and even events. So come on out to one of our powder keg pitch nights. We have them all over the United States right now. Uh, but at those pitch nights, you can come and connect with other tech entrepreneurs, investors, and professionals that are just like you. So it's a great opportunity to get out from behind your computer screens, you know, take those headphones out, uh, and come learn about the latest companies, innovation strategies that are just disrupting industries and changing the world. We also live stream those events. So if you can't make it out in person or if we're not in your city yet, you can check us out at facebook.com slash powder keg. We've been getting some really awesome feedback from you guys, so thank you for that. Uh, but I go to a lot of these powder keg events myself. I just want to mention that again. So I'd love to catch you there in person if you can make it. Again, you can learn all about those events as well as new articles and episodes of Powder Keg Igniting Startups at powderkeg.com. I'll see you there, or we'll talk to you on the next episode. <laughs>